I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Doran. And this is Radio vs. the Martians. He's still doing like 18 Avatar sequels, so I think he's that's what he's been doing for the past. I think 10 the, years. the Terminator as a, a franchise is limited in the same ways that I think that Star Wars has artificially set up limits, which is that you just hook yourself to this one fucking family and you make the universe smaller than it needs to be. And I think the limitation that's actually written into the DNA of Terminator is that it all rotates around John Connor. And that it's really hard to, and I think that if you wanted to really go crazy with Genesis and have it turn into a time travel war, one of the first things you do is kill John Connor and say, oh, wait a minute, you killed this one guy, someone else will stand up and be that hero. It's not like this is the only person who could have done this. Hmm. Um, It'll just happen differently at a different time. But it's not like, you know, if, if not for this former juvenile delinquent, uh, humanity is doomed. I think that it would have been really interesting to see, well, what happens then? What if you kill him and the war still keeps going? Well, it doesn't look like he's in Dark Fate. Mm-hmm. Oh, is that what it's called? Dark Fate? Yeah. That mm. sounds like what you would name a Terminator video game from yeah. the mid-2000s. But this picture of Lyndall Hamilton is all I really need to see, because she oh, still yeah. looks like a super badass. Like, I think you can... You can do it well. I, I would say that they give them yeah, points for originality if we just hadn't seen Halloween come out last year. Yeah, Halloween that, was fucking which, great. Which is exactly the reason why was the appeal to that, which was like, oh, she's a lot older, and so you can weave the, that badassness into a character that has had more life experience. But um, have you yet seen the Halloween reboot? Yeah. Mm, I have not yet, no. It is excellent. Um, I did not expect it to be as good as it was. One, it's, it's a pared-down version of it. It's strips it down it actually makes it about something in a way that a lot of things just kind of say this is about nostalgia right um it's a movie about trauma it's a movie about how we respond to trauma and how we don't believe people who go through trauma how we pass it down to our children yeah Yeah. and how ultimately we have this it actually is a repudiation of what we do a lot of times is that we have these sorts of monsters and even in true crime stories who we want to go like, I want, it's like, I don't care about the victims and what they're going through. I want to psychoanalyze this killer right. as if this is the most important person. And what this movie does is it starts that, uh, they, they set it up and then they just go, you know what? Um, it doesn't fucking matter why he kills people. Fuck this guy. Um, he's just an evil piece of shit and we don't need to sympathize with him. We don't need to try to understand him or get inside of his head. We just need to fucking lock him up, um, for, and forget about him and be able to move past and heal from him. Because one of the first scenes in the movie is a group of basically true crime podcasters showing up at Laurie Strode's house and giving her money. And basically the idea is, Oh, Hey, let's, let's re-traumatize her for right, clicks for and fun stuff. And, profit. and yeah, that uh, was the most unrealistic part of the movie is that somehow people who do a podcast could afford <laughs> to give her $3,000. Hey, I got the impression it was from? kind of like a serial type show. Yeah. The people who do have money, but it, 
that thing is, you know, the villains at the beginning of the movie who kick things off are fucking podcasters. I'm, but I thought that was kind of funny. I'm going to need Laurie Strode with a sword. <laughs> and <laughs> that, that was pretty fucking great. I need, I'm going to need the film, film re-roll version of that story. Th- this one is pretty fucking great. The stuff that goes down in this version of Halloween. I'll have to watch it. I'm, I love the slasher movies. It, uh, without spoiling exactly it's, what it it's is. It's a super stripped down uh, slasher movie that does all of the right things about having that unstoppable like they erase all of the stupidity around giving him the insane backstory right making yeah. him a supernatural villain or they something they go back to him just being a, a guy who is just fucking evil who never talks who doesn't explain himself who doesn't have a clear motivation and, and wears a William Shatner mask yeah wears a William Shatner <laughs> mask um one of the beautiful things in the movie is that there's a, a, a there's a character who is typically put into one of these movies Especially slasher movies. It's the character who doesn't believe the main character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who thinks that they're being crazy or they're being obsessive and you know, you how you know. Um you're and they usually make this person just like this is an audience hate character. Yeah. And their their role usually in these movies is to get slaughtered uh by the killer as punishment for them not believing the lead character. Right. And not giving them that moment, making them a coward, making them useless, making them a burden on characters that are heroic. And what I love is they take that character. One, they make her very human in this movie. And they also give her this completely surprising, wonderful, heroic moment because they remember what this character's history is. Right. And just go, no, she would know how to do this. And you get this moment where she acts the way you expect her to act. And it's a ploy. And it's fucking amazing. All right. All right. Um, I would highly, highly recommend it. There are some really good payoffs. There are some amazing payoffs for... A good stripped down balls to the wall slasher movie. Are we living in the age of good payoffs? Maybe. I feel like we just came out of an age where the payoffs were garbage. And I think I'm actually getting ready to have uh, no small amount of what my wife would call scoot and fruity, but is actually (laughs) Schadenfreude about Game of Thrones and the people that hung out there for Game of Thrones because they're about to get. Fucked. Yeah, that is not going to end. The in a fucking is in way. process right oh, now. Oh yeah, no, I mean each episode is. that passes, it, people are throwing up their hands and being like, "This is what we waited for." Yeah, and well, I, yeah. it is with no ah, small yeah. amount of relish that I watch this <laughs> unfold because I is this your like Emperor Palpatine? It's like good. Yes, yes, I'm like yes good. because I ducked out on season five. I was like, "This is garbage." They're they're they are leaning they're starting to lean really heavy into the sensationalism and it's because they don't know where they're gonna go well they're they're running out of source material and they don't have anything other than that the thing that that made game of thrones the series while it was based on martin's work and what made martin's work really awesome and surprising and fun is that it was shocking but not shocking in an exploitative way or shocking in a way that was for its own sake. The thing that I love about Martin-style shocks when he wrote them was that they shocked you only because you'd been inundated with the tropes of the genre. Right. And the tropes of reading and watching and engaging with media that goes off some basic storytelling traditions and going, nope. And then when you go and you see the shock and you look back, you're like, well, no shit that was going to happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the thing is that like Ned Stark is basically a guy who could just be walking around fixing his own noose 
for the course of that well, book. Yeah. And then setting it up and just going, all they really had to do was push him off the stool. So Tobiah, who's been on, I think, uh, well, I don't, I guess I'm acting like we're recording, but I don't know that we are. We are recording. Okay. But, yeah. Uh, so yeah, Tobiah is he, when I was getting into it, he was like, everybody dies from a terminal case of being who they are and they can't help but be that. Yes. And in no place it's more true than Ned Stark, but fun is, you was calling the works of George R. R. Martin fun is like me calling Deliverance fun. It's yeah. not fun. There's nothing fun about those movies. Like I stopped reading them because I'm like, you and and this is the problem we get with shit like Watchmen and The Dark Knight Returns. I was talking to a friend of mine about this. If you're gonna take that away, you have to replace it with something. And if the thing you're replacing it with is awfulness, then I don't. I reject that out of hand they because do. you have to like you have to I replace don't... it and working towards the. I'm. I, it was like I was a rat in a maze, but my reward <laughs> at the end was just another maze. The thing that I like about it, and this is what I love about Martin's actual work, is that frequently he will not give you what you want. He doesn't give you fan servicey type things. He doesn't give you the the traditional payoffs. But occasionally, what he does is give you a shock that you realize. Like the Jamie Lannister story is one of the best examples I think of somebody who surprises you by becoming someone you like. That you don't ever expect it because he's not a good person in so many ways. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. And um, he was a guy who basically got away with being a shit to everybody because ultimately everyone was afraid of him because he was the greatest swordsman in the land. And, and nobody could face this guy that they would whisper stuff under their breath around him. But they'd never get up in his face and say it because he know right. they could he could run them through. Right. And what they do is they take that away from him. That you're like, holy shit, they've permanently maimed this character in a way that he can't come back from. And now people aren't afraid to not say that stuff directly right. to his face. Right. And now he doesn't have that as a fallback, and now he has to be smart in a way that he's never been stupid. Right. But he's never had to be smart. He was allowed yeah, to he's, coast. He's never had to be Tyrion before where his benefit can be being that guy who has no choice but to, you know, like finagle things behind the scenes because there's no way he could ever face up to a warrior. What you're saying right. is he's John Hamm's character in 30 Rock. <laughs> yes, where he's beautiful, beautiful and yes. he doesn't have to actually have He to doesn't have to work for anything that he has. Everyone yeah. can hate him, but they also kind of want to use him. And you take that away and he has to sort of reevaluate himself. And it's the same thing with um, the Hound is that he hates his brother so badly and he lives for this eventual revenge he hopes to get. I don't know if that's ever going to happen, but I mean, really, is that really even still his brother? I mean, his brother's effectively dead. That someone else killed his brother and now, well, what do I do now? My whole life was, I want to kill that motherfucker. And that's all I kind of had. Yeah. That's the stuff that I think makes for good stories. I think that when good things do happen to these people, they feel far more earned and I, I've always gotten the impression we're going to get a bittersweet ending to this. Um, and I like that about it because – not because it's dark. Dark doesn't make something good or bad. Good makes it good and bad makes it bad. But I think that it's not dark for the sense of, hey, look how cool I am or look how postmodern I am. This is why the the Doomsday Clock comic really offends me. It's this idea – because it seemed to be putting forward this idea that it's Alan Moore's fault that comics went astray. And I don't think it's Alan Moore's fault. I think it's everyone who followed Alan Moore and said, hey, I want to do the piss-poor version of what you just did. Yeah, because, yeah. 
That's exactly what happened. Alan Moore and Frank Miller were refreshing when they came out because yeah. no one else was doing that. This had been, to its detriment, an aggressively age, you know, all ages series of all comics that they, they, the comics code is good, breathing down their neck, saying they couldn't even have an anti-drug comic because it had drugs in it. You couldn't have a negative portrayal of cops. You couldn't show a vampire for the longest time. I mean, all that shit was just so. It just made everything homogenous and awful and bland. So when that stuff started to ease up, we'd never seen superheroes who had like sexual dysfunctions or were bad people or, you know, dealt with drug abuse or were awful or just unpleasant people in general. So that was like revolutionary. But the problem is once everything is like that, it's not revolutionary anymore. Now whimsy is revolutionary. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. I just I don't think that Martin's ever going to finish the series. I you, think that you were going to put money down on that. I'm yeah, I'm willing to put down money on that. <laughs> I think he hates those characters. I think that he is so burnt out. He's been spending how, how could long? You, how could you not be? You're, yeah, exactly. You're, he's in the last third of the last third of his life. Writers and... are writers because they're not. I don't think that's an especially social like. Um, Profession. Profession, yeah. yeah. And so I he has been catapulted into the limelight as being the creator of, of one of the most popular things ever. Yeah. Right? This is transcended TV. This is one of the biggest things culturally ever to happen. He doesn't want to finish that book. Oh, I don't I can't figure out how to get Danny out of Marine. Bullshit, you can't figure <laughs> it out. You don't want to. No, I, I don't necessarily think that. He I think he made things so complicated that it's hard to move shit around. Yeah, but I don't I also don't think that I th- I think at a certain point you have to ask yourself, is it worth kind of maybe just doing like, oh, I'm going to do this, and maybe that's not as satisfying as the perfect thing, but it will finish these books, which is pretty much a promise I've made to the people that have been reading my books for the last 25 years? Or am I seriously going to put off writing these things until I can find the perfect thing that gets this character out when people already have an ending? Like, it's going to be unsatisfying, but I don't see how the book ending is going to be any more satisfying. Oh, I think it has to be more satisfying I'll, because uh, because Martin is – that's the thing with Martin versus these folks is that I think that we've seen that the people that are doing this show are – they're more marinated in those tropes that I talked about earlier. Yes. That we're seeing things that are obvious fan service or what would every other story do about this? And they're kind of coasting on the goodwill and attachment we have to them that Martin gave them. Yeah. That they wouldn't have had if they'd been writing this series from the beginning. That characters that used to be smart are acting kind of dumb or acting bizarre because it creates drama – like nothing about the resolution of the little finger storyline makes any sense. Mm. Why do you, if I mean because there's several scenes that don't have little finger in them that just have Sansa and Arya sniping at each other. If they're playing the plan, why are they doing this shit in private? I mean, it's for the sake of the audience, so it makes no real sense. And also, if you can just kill him in the middle of the room, anyways. Aren't they going to go, whoa, shit? They just made an accusation, then cut his throat. Yeah. I mean, it's exciting, but and sometimes it's a lot of fun to watch, and there's a couple revelations they have that I hope are Martin revelations, but ultimately it made a show that moved at a deliberate pace that 
went out of its way to be grounded and realistic in terms of how fast it took to move places or how much, what the pacing is going to be. Like ultimately we had the resolution of the whole white Walker storyline happened in one episode and it, because it was only one episode and not a whole season, given how slowly that thing has been building from the beginning, it made me just go, well, what the fuck? Yeah. Why weren't the white walkers, the big bad, why is Cersei the big bad? And I'll tell you why. This is why. Because you can't take something like George R. R. Martin was trying to do and deconstruct these centuries-old fantasy tropes and present that in a package for the general public because the general public doesn't fucking want that. Mm-hmm. They want Arya cutting Littlefinger's throat after this whole mock trial. They want that moment. They want the Night King dead. They want, like, there's no message there other than Who's going to fuck next or who's going to die next? And that's really what that show is about. And they could pretend it, hasn't it wasn't. Always been about there, that, no, though. because there, there was source about, material. There is something about what HBO does to any and every show, the tits, the tits and violence sort yes. of spectrum. I remember when the, the first True Detective, uh, the first season of True Detective mm-hmm. came out, it was like someone, someone was, was reading about it and they're like, oh, it only took until season three or episode three of the season where there was just sort of this thing of if it's HBO, there's going to be like some tits and ass and some like some violence right. uh, episodes because that's just what you do as an HBO show. And I feel like the difficulty of Game of Thrones was not only was it adapting a fantasy novel into an HBO thing, but then it became full HBO. But it also adapted a series that wasn't finished yet. And yeah. it, we talked about this kind of with Akira, is that, they, that Katsuhiro Otomo made the Akira movie before the series was fixed, but it was made by the same person. Right. And then when he made the thing, he probably corrected a lot of stuff you, in the manga. You can argue do. that the HBO was made by the same person because George R. R. Martin is there then, yeah, as an executive producer. Which is, well, I mean, what does that really mean creatively? But, he, but he's not dead. The difference is, if this was someone else, if this was adapting the guy who wrote the Canterbury. The, no, I was going to say <laughs> the girl with the dragon tattoo, right? right where right, he died, right. and then basically other people are finishing his stories and so of course he's he's not doesn't have any buy in on the right, way no. how he resolves but this. I mean, he, he but in finished. this one, at least George R. R. Martin is there who could tap on someone's shoulder and be like, you know what I was trying to do with this for four books? This. But you right, know. the right. thing is, even if he did have a feeling of this is bullshit, he can't change it. I'm pretty hmm. sure that because his contract isn't good enough. The, yeah. yeah, the the, the point <laughs> is he could thing, probably right? go public and make them look like shit, but I think they, if there was actually somebody already posted. I think it was Lindsay Ellis who linked to this short video that I kind of fucking love, where it was clips of the members of the Game of Thrones cast being asked about the season, and one of them was uh, Kit Harrington who plays Jon Snow, and they says, "Well, in one word, how do you feel about the end of this series?" And he just goes, "Disappointing." <laughs> and <laughs> then they had, there's like a, a red carpet thing, and. It's it's uh, Amelia Clark and the person asks her, oh, so do you think this is wrapped up exactly the way you want? And she had this really uncomfortable smile on her face <laughs> and she says, you didn't say no. And she just goes, yeah, best season ever. And a couple of the other actors just laugh. <laughs> this is why Lindsay Ellis has one of my favorite things. I'm in love with that woman as she is the voice in my head at times <laughs> but her takedown of the live action Beauty and the Beast where her whole thing is thanks I hate it that really is a great video <laughs> and would... it's that that right there that thanks I hate it 
it encapsulates the way I feel about so many things where I'm like, you gave this to me and I never asked you for it. And it is garbage. Yeah. Get it the fuck away from well, me. It's, it's, a lot of the live action Disney movies, it's like the equivalent of a cat leaving a dead bird on yes. your front doorstep. It's like, you know what? Maybe this was met with the best of intentions, but I don't want this. Well, and it's a way that they can make even more money off of already existing properties so they don't have to pay the people that originally worked on that series again. Uh, yeah, I mean, almost everything about that Disney does is cynical, is a cynical cash-in. Yeah. But these are more transparent because, as I think I've said this before, the live-action remakes are definitionally inferior to the, oh, what they come from. Oh, in every conceivable in, way. In every way, but in getting getting back to, to Martin in this sense, um, Martin doesn't have... Of a finished thing out there that they're adapting in the same way you compare this to like you know Peter Jackson with the Lord of the Rings there's a finished story and the beautiful thing about having a finished story even a complex finished story is that you can look at it from the 10,000 foot level and go okay what are the elements that I can cut and what are the elements I can keep what are the elements I need to change and it's, make it work in this new medium. Right. And so, yeah, I can understand why you cut the scouring of the Shire. Even if I really like it in the book, I get why you'd cut it. I get why you'd get rid of Tom Bombadil. So you can go, yeah. But, I'll never recover from that. Oh, you want, you want, hey, ho, Tom Bombadil. Uh, no, I, I'm um, okay. I, Peter Jackson. But I, I mean, really... he knew what to cut. But with this one, I think they just started cutting stuff, not knowing if it was. Imp- it's sort of like when somebody's like, "Well, I'm disabling a bomb." It's like, I guess we don't need that green wire. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know what'll happen. I don't know if this is going to tear this whole thing apart. But they don't really have much more than probably a loose understanding of what happens next. And you really see the difference between them writing from source material and them just going. Uh, well, I guess I'm writing uh, Jon Snow Danny fan fiction now. And, <laughs> and everything seems to work so out really great. And then it goes really sucks. bad. There was a tweet the other day is uh, who of who from what uh, what member of the Game of Thrones cast would you fuck even if they were your family member? <laughs> That's strange. Maybe, maybe, maybe it was just what member of the Game of Thrones cast or what character in Game of Thrones would you fuck if they were your family member? <laughs> <laughs> oh. It got away from him. Yeah, this it got was, away from him for yeah. sure. Yeah, and I, I, I remember seeing Max Brooks at Emerald City Comic Con a few years ago when right before World War Z came out and somebody stood up to ask him, aren't you worried they're going to ruin your book? And Max Brooks had the best answer ever. He said, I've written my book. You can't ruin that. Like whatever they do will be its own thing. And that changed the way I interacted with adaptations of things. I like because when I was 12, 13, when I was a teenager, I saw Jurassic Park after reading the book and I thought it was garbage. I was probably one of five people on the Northern Hemisphere that despised that movie. And now I go back and look at it, and I'm like, this is a fine movie. Like, we didn't need all that extra crap in the book. That's fine. Like, we got Jeff Goldblum as Ian Malcolm out of that. That's more than enough. But now I can go and I can enjoy the Marvel movies and stuff. But, And I'm not – I never had that much buy-in to Game of Thrones because I like fantasy tropes. Mm -hmm. I think that – People will often defend it when I would be like, I'm done. I'm not going to watch it anymore. And I quit reading halfway through the second book because the books are boring. I love the books. That's, and that's fair. That's fair. But, but again, <clears throat> I love them because I love fantasy tropes and I kind of like I like being surprised. I like watching this stuff 
deconstructed by someone who loves them. I think the best deconstructions come from somebody who loves the thing that they're tearing apart. It's why I think Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright are so good. Yeah. They're deconstructing action movies with Hot Fuzz or deconstructing zombie movies with Shaun of the Dead. Right, but it's a lot less exhausting than having to worry about, you know, I, 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 I do think that regardless of, of how academic his... Um, deconstruction is uh, there's no small amount of glee in in his you know murdering Oberon or or any of the other like just side characters that just get cut down and I'm just like I don't want this Hmm. I don't want this just because it has merit doesn't mean it's good right and like and I'm not saying yeah exactly right like I can, it's, you know, I feel the same way about Tarantino, right? It's like, those films, I can't argue that they don't have merit, but I fucking hate Quentin Tarantino, and I don't want to watch his fucking movies, regardless of whether or not they have merit, right? Like, I'm not trying to yuck anybody's yum, but... (laughs) I think sometimes it's important to yuck somebody's yum. I I I know that people are less like that, let people enjoy things. It's like, well, sometimes thing is shit, and I I should never be allowed to say something negative about something. The only thing we can do is say positive. Well, nothing gets better when when you don't. So I think on that level, yeah, I think it's important to, to, to be willing to not just do it because uh, we're such an edgelord contrarian, but to to be honest about how you feel about something and back it up with stuff. Speak for a- yourself. I am an edgelord contrarian, okay? <laughs> but I mean, there's that sort of like, yeah, well, I'm just going to blah, blah, blah. And it's like that guy who yelling endgame spoilers out at the end of, uh, in, was it Japan? And they China, beat the- I think it was China. Oh. And they beat the shit out of him? Mm. Oh, As- man. Oh, yeah. well, Jesus. I see, I'm not, I'm not like a hardcore spoiler person. I read the Wikipedia entry for endgame before I saw it because I'm a, I can't help it, but... Um, I, the, the thing that makes this guy deserve to get the shit kicked out of him is not that he spoiled something. It's that he's intentionally being a dick to a group of people that are clearly excited Yeah, that he's trying to ruin their day. And I'm like, well, you know, you know, there you go. (laughs) I'm I'm just like somebody's get some hero will step forward. It it was the, it was the, what did you expect? Yeah. What, what what did you expect? But I mean, are you suddenly clever now? Because you're oh, Dumbledore dies on page, blah, blah, blah. You know, fuck you. I mean, it's like, I don't really care about spoilers in that way. I think there's a certain amount of courtesy yeah, that comes well, out of it. Yeah, it's basic human decency. And, you know, it's it's not about, you know, the same thing. Oh, SJW, whatever. No, a lot of it, a lot of this stuff where you just boil it down just goes, can you think about other people just a little bit before <laughs> yeah. you say something? <laughs> some people can't. <laughs> and, and it doesn't make you like some, some truth teller to, to like be a shit to people. Sometimes you're just an asshole. Well, and that's. That is that is the long and short of it. Is that sometimes you are you know some people are just assholes and there are consequences occasionally and, to being an asshole and sometimes that is you get fucking and this beat is, up by a group of people and this is why I love Maxine Waters and and hate Nancy Pelosi. Is some people <laughs> yes. don't deserve to have a nice lunch. Yes, some I, people I, some people deserve to get sucker punched when they wave a Nazi flag. Some people deserve well and yeah to, right the striking it, difference between those two people <laughs> and the privilege that each of them or that one enjoys that the other may not have. Some people. 
don't deserve civility. Yeah, some people exactly. are. They've crossed the line, and you're just like, okay, you're just being a shit now. But I guarantee you, after I <laughs> I pull your shirt over your head and throw you into a wall, you're not going to be a shit anymore. Well, and I think the and not not to get down this rabbit hole because this is a whole other discussion. But the people that preach the hardest for civilities are the people that stand to gain the most by everything staying the same, or don't get hurt no. by everything getting worse. Yeah, yeah. I think and that's I, it. That's, that's what it is. It's, it's like it's well, like it's, the, it's the paradox of the First Amendment rally. You know, it's like if someone says they're going to have a First Amendment rally, you're going to have an extremely high chance that people are going to use the First Amendment as the, well, we can stand out in the public square and say hateful shit about right, people. Right, exactly. And to get you up, to get some people upset enough to want to fight. Yeah. That's how we're going to use it. Yeah. You can, you know, that's just, it's a code word at that point. Civility yeah. is a code word. But you should be prepared for other people having some things to say that you might not want to hear <laughs> yes. back. I mean, that's just how this shit works. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you know, absolutely. And, and somebody might fucking punch you in the face because I'm and, sorry. Yeah. People like you were bad guys in Captain America comics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I think, right, if you're a bad if you if the group you are associating with was once a bad guy in any comic, <laughs> yeah. much less Captain America, then maybe you need to... T- it's like that Mitchell and Webb st- sketch where it's like, are, are we, we the, the baddies? baddies? Yeah. Right? Like, maybe... Who's, whose skull is that? Yeah, what is right? that? Like, maybe you need to to take a step back when the, when uh, last year, I think... It, no, it was, it was a couple years ago, this July, when there were all these things, these riots going on at Evergreen. They called them riots. What it really was was student walkouts. But... I worked at Evergreen. I don't think it's anything <clears throat> officially a riot unless either a front window has had a garbage can thrown through or it. Or something's on or, fire. Yeah, car has to be on yeah. fire. <laughs> so, it's not a riot. Yeah, no. I And so I worked in, I worked at the Evergreen State College when those were going on, and there were people, these old white men in the science department that were going, well, the Patriot Pair people, we should arrange a debate. Because clearly people will will move to the side that has the best arguments. And I'm oh, like, this is the problem. I'm like, this is the problem with Nazis, right? Is that nobody, nobody has ever told them that their beliefs are hurtful to other people, right? We didn't have an entire fucking world war. <laughs> a world war based on the fact that what Nazism literally was, was fucking unconscionable. Nazis don't and care like, about debate. They don't care no. about using the systems that we have. And you're not going to defeat them with fucking process no, and no. civility. No, you're going to defeat them with punches. They expect this West-wing jerk-off bullshit where you think that if you can just give some inspiring speech someone will get up and start giving you the slow clap and that Nazi will scurry away yeah. if he can't win there he's just going to start killing people in the streets this yep. is all bullshit anyways yes. this is dishonest fucking bullshit they are monsters who openly talk about fucking genocide and I'm sorry. You're wasting your time going, well, I'm sorry. That man who believes in ethnic slaughter, well, let's hear what it he has to say. Everyone will just understand that he's bad, and then they'll boo him. The problem with them is that nobody's ever made a cogent argument. That's, oh, nobody's right. had a dialectic with right. them. That's what really needs to happen. If, if, if you have ever said that, I don't think anybody that listens to this podcast has ever said that, but if you... I've ever said that. Go fuck yourself. Literally, (laughs) take three steps back away from wherever you are and fuck yourself. The only reason to open a dialogue with a Nazi or a Klansman is you're luring them into an alleyway where a bunch of your friends are waiting. (laughs) That is the only fucking reason. Uh, Fuck those people. I think the mood in the room is just right. (laughs) Yes. I think we have achieved catharsis. Radio vs. the Martians is hosted by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. This podcast is recorded in beautiful Valverde in Seattle, Washington. 
Our chief engineer is Casey Dorn, and our editor is Mike Gillis. Our original theme music is written and performed by James Wetzel. Special thanks to Sam Mulvey, Rob Kelly, James Wetzel, Paul Rue, Tobias Panshin, Scott Kramer, Kyle Hepworth, and Todd Maxfield Matsumoto. Please take the time to rate and review our show on iTunes and Stitcher, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please consider becoming one of our Patreon subscribers. Even just a dollar a month gives you access to exclusive episodes. And you can always find us online at RadioVersusTheMartians.com. shot your final scenes yet and are you happy with how things ended yes <laughs> she didn't say yes best season ever <laughs> best.